What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. Today on the show, we're talking about aliens under the sea. If you want to explore the world of extraterrestrials, we have to leave the terrain and go underwater. Giant bugs, animals that clone themselves, things that come back to life after being eviscerated. And later on the show, we'll be speaking to a professor of marine biology who kept an octopus in his living room. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, who's got no thumbs and three hearts? These guys. So I want to start out the show with a listener question. Mike asks, why is the deep sea filled with nightmares? Anglerfish, goblin sharks, gulper eels. When evolution turns the light out, why does it have to go full horror show? I mean, tigers are scary too, but they're equal parts cuddly at least. Well, Mike, here's my theory. It's not so much that the sea is filled with nightmares, rather that we diverged from them on our evolutionary road trip. So we share more features in common with other mammals and our schema for what looks cuddly is based on mammalian features. Researchers found that children as young as three to six years of age form a sort of mental cuteness map. Faces of humans and animals were manipulated and photoshopped to be more proportionally similar to babies. Children spent more time looking at images that more closely fit these baby proportions and rated them as more pleasing. Big eyes, big foreheads, chubby cheeks. Now compare that to many deep sea creatures. Tiny, beady eyes, no foreheads, sunken cheeks. Almost the opposite of the baby schema. In a sense, deep sea animals and other aquatic life is alien to us. So far back on the evolutionary tree, we're barely relatives. But today on the show, we're going to challenge that concept. We're going to take a good hard look at some of the slimiest, tentacliest, most alien-looking animals in the sea and learn to love them. And later in the show, I'm going to be joined by Professor David Scheel, a marine biologist who invited an octopus to come live with him in his home and found we have shockingly much in common with these evolutionary aliens. Joining me today is comedian, musician, monkey lover, Chris Crofton. Hey, how are you, Katie? <laughs> so are you familiar with uh, the sea? 
Uh, I mean, I've, I've been in it, um, you know, just a few feet, uh, usually. I don't usually go out very far. You, you don't mess with the ocean. No, I, I'm with you there. Not I, a whole lot. I, I don't I don't mess with it either. I take one good look at the ocean, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm okay, actually. Yeah. I've got feet. Oh, they're good for land, right? Yeah, and I'm like, I used to be a redhead, and now I'm, uh, I, I'm bald. But when I was, when I had, I mean, I'm pale, so right, I, right. I, the ocean. I mean, the beach is some. I have to coat myself in, um, yeah, zinc to to go there. Yeah, exactly. I've I've got the ginger genes too, and it, it's it, nature's telling me something. It's telling me to stay indoors. Don't go to the beach. Cover yourself in sunscreen. Yeah. Just bathe I don't in know it. where Irish people are supposed to be. They're supposed to be in some kind of mist. I think we're supposed to be like subterranean creatures that just kind of like. I really don't understand it. Is there no sun in Ireland? I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, we're not prepared or built for sun. It's all, it's all bog, right? I guess that's what I always picture. You're supposed you to be in a bog inside of a bog, like shoveling peat right. or right. Exactly. Well. So I, first, I want to talk about an animal called the goblin shark. And to kind of address uh, the listener question of these freaky animals you find deep under sea. Um, so here's a picture of a goblin shark's head. Oh, my God. It kind of looks, to me, it looks a little bit like Mr. Smithers on The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, Do it does kind of look like that if he was wearing a hat. It's kind of like a long hat beak on top of him. Exactly. It's got this big pointy nose and like these protruding lips. Is like, that his nose, that top yeah, part that's well, hanging over his head? It's more of a snout than a nose, but it's... Uh, this, Where's his eyeballs? Underneath his nose? The eyes are, yeah, so his eyes are right there. Oh, like what a drag. <laughs> <laughs> when your eyeballs are underneath your nose, you're not going to get that many dates. Nope. Um, but they grow up to 16 feet long, so they're tall. And where do they, how, where is that? Because I don't want to go anywhere near that. You probably won't have to worry about them. Is that in the shallows? No, no. They're a very rare shark that that can be found throughout the world deep in the ocean at depths of over 300 feet. So you're probably never going to see one of these. It looks kind of old. It looks like it's kind of like a old Egyptian carving Mm. that's like, I guess, alive. Because it looks kind (laughs) of like made of, it looks like it's made of rock. Yeah, I think this one is probably a little bit desiccated because I think that's a dead sample. Oh, that's a dead one. Yeah. Oh, I was wondering why it looks so raggedy. It's it's hard. Like, you can't get live samples of these pretty much. Like, when they try to collect a live sample, it dies pretty quickly. That's a bummer. But if you want to, there's this video of a live one, and you can see it actually can shoot its jaws out. Shoot its jaws out? Yeah, it will shoot its jaws from its face, like a slingshot. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let me show you. Okay, yeah. Oh, boy. Wow. So he's like a, oh, my gosh, he has a mouth inside his mouth, or she does. It's kind of like Alien, you know, the, the yes. alien from Alien, where it, like, shoots out that tongue alien. Is that what happens in that movie? It's like a little tongue alien that shoots out of its mouth and then screams at people. Yeah, kind of, I think. Uh, that that Yeah, so this shark that I just looked at has, like, a mouth, like a... And then inside it has another mouth that shoots out. Well, it's actually one mouth, but it, it kind of it looks like it's shooting out an extra mouth because it's actually kind of recessed inside of of its um, mandibles. So it's got one one jaw, one set of teeth, and then that rec- it's as if you could like pop your jaws like out of your skull and kind of right. like push it forward. Like my mother-in-law, <laughs> oh, just <boy>. kidding. I'm <laughs> not even married. Zing, I'm roasted. I'm not even Boom. married. Back Boom, off. Boom, roasted no to room. the imaginary mother-in-law. 
I came on your show to do mother-in-law <laughs> jokes. Is that okay? Well, it's, tw- <laughs> what is it, 2019? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's probably an ambush predator. So it sneaks up behind prey and then snaps it with its freaky jaws. The reason it's able to catapult its jaws forward is it actually has these elastic ligaments that are like rubber bands. Um, so when its jaws close, these, these rubber band ligaments are actually pulled tight and then it releases them. Oh, wow. Literally like a slingshot, but it's full of teeth. So I see what it's doing. It's like it can, so it can deadpan. Like it's not gonna right. bite, like it's not hungry or it's not about to bite you. It just like has a straight face, and then but inside it's got this like it has its real intentions. Teeth nightmares. All, yeah, like, yeah, all like set up. Yeah, boom, teeth nightmares. So he's like, you see, you, <laughs> another a person meets or a person, another animal meets that fish, and the fish is like, oh, he's not mad. Because his face is straight. His mouth is straight. Yeah. They, and they look kind of doofy. They got that long nose and then just teeth everywhere. That's incredible. <laughs> I, I, what a strange evolution. Yep. More nightmare fuel for you is the giant isopods. So do you, you know like pill bugs? They're also called like wood lice and roly polies. Yeah, the ones under the rocks. Exactly. The Some of them like roll up. Some of them don't roll up. But they, they all have that general look. The yeah. Little we segmented. used to call them potato bugs. Yeah, that's another name for them. Um, I, I think I called them roly polies. I, I loved collecting big fistfuls of them and just like letting them run over my hands. Interesting. I was a monster. Different than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so imagine one of those roly polies that's the size of a chihuahua. Really? Yep. Where are they? They're deep under the sea. They're, oh my God. So 500 feet under the sea in the West Atlantic Ocean lives the giant isopod. They grow up to up to two and a half feet in length and up to four pounds. So they're in fact related to pill bugs. They're both isopods, so they're quite closely related. Obviously, the pill bugs are terrestrial and the isopods are aquatic, but they're part of this larger family of isopoda which also includes tongue-eating parasites that live in the sea. We've actually talked about it on the show before, but these are parasites that latch onto fish tongues, suck out their blood, and replace the actual tongue in terms of functioning. What? Yeah. They replace everything? That sounded normal. I mean, you know, relatively normal <laughs> until you said they replace the tongue. Right, because they eat so much of the fish tongue that the tongue atrophies, and the fish uses that uh, isopod, that parasite, as a tongue because it's like attached to the muscles at the back of the tongue. So once that actually once that isopod completes its life cycle and drops off of the fish, the fish dies because it doesn't have a tongue anymore. Wow. Well, I'm glad. Do they have those? They don't have those for uh, people, do they? There's no. Not that I know of. No. Cool. Is that your tongue? No, it's a pre- <laughs> it's a predator that replaced my tongue. So here's a picture of one of these guys. Oh. He's being held by, a, I guess, a researcher, kind of like a little baby. <laughs> just like, yeah, where did, what do the scientists do with these weird animals? Do they just pull them out so they can show them? I guess so. Just hold them. Like, yeah, look at this like, weird yeah, thing. Yeah, check this out. Then the, I think that's pretty much it. Just like, the, look at this weird thing. And the thing that they pulled out like dies like right after, <laughs> right after they show <laughs> They chase it. around their crush, like holding this thing up like, yeah, look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Running away. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Um, Giant potato bug fish. <laughs> it's not a fish, though, is it? No, it's it's a it's an isopod, which is uh, kind of more closely related to crustaceans. Hmm. Uh, they're kind of the poster child for deep sea gigantism. So that's where. 
Oh, that's funny. The poster child for deep sea gigantism. Do you or your relatives suffer from deep sea gigantism? If so, we're here to help. Call 1-800-DEEP-SEA-GIGANTISM-LAWYERS. Oh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, so invertebrates at greater depths can actually evolve to grow much larger than their smaller counterparts. So, like, think about the giant squid. Normally, squid aren't really that big, but deep under the sea, like at these great depths, they can actually get to be quite large. Right. Uh, this There's a few theories about why this happens. One of them is that because at these depths, the food density drops. So like there's not that much food around. There's not that many organisms. Obviously, sunlight doesn't reach, so there's not as much uh, phytoplankton down there. So obviously right <laughs> uh, so you need you literally need a larger body to be able to cover more ground and fight scattered resources which mm, okay. seems kind of counterintuitive because like the bigger you are the more food you need mm. but on the other hand there's this law in nature where it's like the bigger your body is you're actually more efficient metabolically uh, so something tiny needs to keep eating pretty constantly to keep its body running, but a large animal has more body reserves, so it can put a lot of it. A lot of its energy can be stored, whereas like a small animal, it's kind of like how hummingbirds have to feed basically constantly okay. to stay alive because they're so small. Oh, they see. have no reserves. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So that's why giant tortoises and things can live. A long time. Yeah, and actually that's a very good point because these large animals like the uh, Greenland shark, which we've talked about on previous episodes, is this giant shark that can live hundreds of years um, because its metabolism is so slow and it's so big and it, it it's like its whole body system is just kind of slowed down and it's this giant ancient creature. Yeah, I'm really interested in, in animals that live a long time uh, just because it's, uh, I don't know, just interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're... <laughs> I find them interesting because they are I, old. Yeah. You can I, I like old out. things too. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I but I get what you're saying because... You don't think of a, we think of it in terms of human lifespan. So something that lives hundreds of years, it's just bizarre to think of one lifespan spanning over like five hundred years. Right, and you attach your perception of time to their perception of time, which is totally different. So you think that I'm always imagining that they poke their head up all the time and say like, see what's going on. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> like they're like, oh, they're wearing those outfits. You know what I mean? Like they're right. Like they see like tri corner hats, and then they <laughs> poke their head up again, and it's like the seventies are like bell bottoms and. You know, it's not happening. They're just like, they're just like thinking this. They're thinking. Right. (laughs) I don't know. I kind of like the idea that they're thinking like, hi, wait, when did frigging caps go out of style? They're thinking about human culture. I'm sure they're like keeping it on. They're just like living a long time so they can see more human (laughs) outfits. That's my idea. Exactly. How nature works. So one last uh, deep sea creature I want to talk about is really funny it's called so it's the uh, atola jellyfish it's a species of deep sea crown jellyfish it's i don't know do you play D at all or i or, did when i was younger yeah it kind of looks like uh one of the <laughs> when, I was much younger. when uh, it, it looks like one of the monsters from D because it's red it's got 20 tentacles uh like what's that eye monster in D? oh uh, i don't know enough about orbithlinks or whatever <laughs> i don't know i had a corrupt dungeon master who gave me some strength that was way too high so i, <laughs> so I could beat like everybody and then the game was no fun anymore. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like paid off the dungeon master oh my to give me strength because everyone oh. was like, "How did you get that strength when you're a knave or whatever?" And you found and, that that bribery doesn't pay. Something like that. <laughs> These deep sea crown jellyfish are bioluminescent and. Uh, when it's attacked, it actually flashes a blue police siren of bioluminescence. Wow. Let me let me show you a video of this. So here's it's uh, this guy. It's um, really freaky looking, as you can see. Insane. That's crazy. And then when it's attacked, beautiful. It has like this blue. It's beautiful. Yeah, it looks like blue fireworks. Man, I'd like to hold one of those when I was stoned. <laughs> Well, it would probably narc on you because this is uh, also known as the alarm jellyfish, or as I like to call it, the snitch fish, because it will use this alarm when it's attacked to draw predators in, which sounds counterintuitive. But what happens is, so it's being attacked by a smaller predator. It does this alarm. Larger predators come over to see what's happening. And instead of attacking the jellyfish, they attack their attacker. So the, the smaller predator that was attacking the jellyfish. So they're ba essentially they're calling in the sea police, which comes over, checks it out, and then eats the predator that was bothering them. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's a very complicated trick. Yeah. I mean, I almost don't understand it, but uh, that's just because I'm uh, well, it's stupid a, and I just woke up. Well, it's a little confusing because you have like these two. So so jellyfish gets attacked by, say, a little fish, right? right? And then the jellyfish signals its alarm. It flashes blue. It makes all this commotion. A bigger fish comes over. Oh, because it knows there's a little fish over there. Right. And it's like, huh, there's this these bright lights happening. I wonder what's going on. And instead of attacking the jellyfish, it's like, oh, hey, look, a little fish. I'll eat that. Because that's more, that's more right. enticing than the jellyfish. And then the jellyfish gets the big thing. The jellyfish just gets to escape. No, it doesn't. It, it's oh, just, I see. Yeah, it's just it's just snitching so that it can escape. Oh, I got it. Well, wait, what was the little fish going to do the jellyfish? Try to eat it. Oh, okay. There you go. I get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is very complicated. So I think that's if that. So that kind of fit, well, jellyfish that has all those great lights would be if it was a Pixar movie, it would be like they'd make a disco out of those, <laughs> right? Or, or like, they'd put it on top of a police car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a, the, a gel, just slap it on top of a fish yeah. police car, and then the sirens off. And it's funny because it is it's red and blue, so it's 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 not, very pretty. I, yeah. I mean, I, they say bioluminescence or. Or you say bioluminescence, or that's the term. Right. And it's just such an, it's such a, like, I mean, you can call it that, but it's also just incredible. It's I mean, it's just the yeah. craziest thing ever. Yeah. Well, how the frack? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's like you can call it bioluminescence, but it's really just like more like. Holy crap, It's incredible. Yeah, it is. It is. It's beautiful and nuts. And, and why, how in the world would that develop as a defense mechanism rather than just like a, an ex, a some. Horrible looking thing, like a jaw that's loaded. To <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they get yeah. lights. Why do they get lights? This other thing gets a horrible yeah. looking uh, exploding jaw. Well, you know, I mean, maybe to to get them an agent. exploding jaw is attractive. I don't know. It's uh, all well, jellyfish had a, a better agent and they negotiated <laughs> for the lights. I mean, that's a great thing, you know. Well, marine biologists actually mimic that pattern of light using just like a mechanical device to attract deep sea predators. I know, I know, they steal it. Trying right? to trap them so you take them out of the ocean and show them to their girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> or um, a boyfriend. I think. Listen fortunately, to me between that mother-in-law joke and calling them. <laughs> I got it. 
So anyway, yeah. So mother in laws, pulling, right? They're pulling these things out. Of, yeah, they're pulling these things out and making mother in law jokes. Exactly. And then they, yeah, it's exactly. Not, it's not exactly. Right. It's not right. They've even used that alarm to lure in a giant squid, which they caught on film for like one of the. It's really hard to catch giant squid on oh, film. Oh, I know, but I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like any kind of like treasure hunt kind of thing. Right. You know, I, I just really like any kind of, yeah. So if there's something that's hard to see or like it's hard to get a picture of, I like that. Like Loch Ness Monster to me is like, so if I can't see the Loch Ness Monster, I'll take a giant squid. And I've seen that. It's very neat that they can't see them. And also anything that exists where it's like, we know they exist because whales have scars on right. them from fights with them. Right. That's incredible. But it's, we can't see a live real one. real neat. Yeah, it's interesting. It does make it more real somehow because I've seen like dead giant squid and it's somehow just like... Because it's dead, it, it almost doesn't register as a real thing. You're like, yeah, okay, I, I get that's real. But then when you actually see it moving and alive, it really sinks in. It's like, no, this is a real living creature, yeah. not just a big dead thing or like a big model or made yeah, out of paper mache. Forever, yeah, they'd have those pictures of on postcards of like some guy that looks like Charlie Chaplin standing <laughs> next to a giant squid that looks kind of just like a pile of... Um, Oh, I don't know. Something, but not like a live thing. Right, right. Like a, I, I love those postcards, though. It is really funny to look at old pictures of what people thought squid and octopus looked like. Like I saw a cartoon of an octopus where it has like a a, a mouth, like a human mouth. And of course, they don't have human mouths. They have beaks. But it's just it's really funny to see that like just has this like weird smile with teeth. And that that doesn't really happen. Yeah. But they had no idea what they were doing when they were drawing these animals yeah but, but now we can we can see videos of them because we we stole the idea from the jellyfish right so the jellyfish so these so these marine biologists dangle royalties. yeah dangle like lights that look like jellyfish down there and, and trick giant squid yeah exactly hmm. another day at the office for these <laughs> maniacs what would happen if humans were forced deep, deep underwater and had to evolve to survive their environment? First, we'd have to get rid of some of our pesky organs. Lungs obviously don't work underwater, but even worse, at the bottom of the ocean, the pressure is so great, over 15,000 psi, your lungs would be crushed as the air becomes compressed, and water would force its way into any part of your body still filled with air. And even if we could somehow breathe a tank of air without our lungs collapsing, we would suffer from nitrogen narcosis. In this high-pressure environment, nitrogen dissolves out of the air we breathe and would leach into our blood, choking us on the cellular level. So we'd have to ditch the lungs in favor of some nice gill slits, perhaps the ones that are present in fetal development that we've been using, forming parts of the ear. With no sunlight, our ear... With no sunlight, our eyes would be useless unless we could make using forming parts of the ear. With no sunlight, our ear... With no sunlight, our eyes would be useless unless we could make use of some bioluminescence. We'd either want to ditch the eyes or develop huge golem-like eyes with a nice bioluminescent glow. Due to our relatively large size and the poor nutrition in this environment, we'd need a much slower metabolism. Our many muscles and bones would become superfluous and perhaps vestigial as we became smooth, gelatinous creatures that slowly float through the depths, hoping to ambush that rare bit of unsuspecting prey. Perhaps we'd be like the Greenland sharks who live hundreds of years due to their very slow metabolism, 
with sharp serrated teeth that can snatch up prey and prevent them from escaping our jaws. We would, in effect, become creepy monsters, but we'd learn to find our new horrible shape to be attractive. In other words, Snapchat filters are helping us adapt to our new deep sea homes. Don't go to a sea witch to trade your legs in for fins just yet. When we return, we'll talk about some alien creatures that can be found a bit closer to home. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You don't actually need to go to the depths of the ocean to find alien creatures. You can find them in almost every body of water and in almost every inch of the ocean. For example, take sea snails. Please. You probably have an image of a little shell and a snail head poking out, but there's a group of teeny tiny snee snit snee snails. There's a group of teeny tiny sea snails and sea slugs called pteropoda, free-swimming gastropods found all over the ocean at depths of only around 30 feet who look like a cross between aliens and ghosts. These include sea angels who have what appear to be wings and alien antenna and whose bodies are a pale ghostly veil of transparent gelatinous flesh. They're carnivores and feed on sea butterflies, another group of pteropods. Sea butterflies look like a snail, a butterfly, an orchid, and an alien ghost all had a baby together. Its gauze-like wings beat as if it's flying, allowing it to swim through the ocean as it carries along its tiny, transparent, snail-shell-encased body. 
I ain't afraid of no ghosts, but an alien ghost, yeah, I'm kind of afraid of that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's interesting to see our concepts of science fiction and thinking about sci-fi and then you look at some of our sci-fi inventions and you look under the sea and they're just there right so like the concept art for the movie aliens like you look under who is that guy who made that uh hr geiger yeah that's right like hr geiger's illustrations just look like uh deep sea creatures or, or animals that you can find in the ocean and even common animals that we don't really we don't know that much about because either they're small or they're hard to find, but like these these snails that are actually really spooky looking, they don't look like terrestrial snails at all. It's kind of amazing, and I, I like the idea that, I don't know, there's all this stuff going on that, that, that doesn't care about Donald Trump. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's a whole other civilization yeah. that's going on that's you know, kind of probably going to be fine no matter what we do to the planet. They're just going to be doing their thing. So later we're going to talk to, uh, I'm, I'm talking to a marine biologist who kept an octopus in his home. And the fact that octopuses are so intelligent kind of gives me hope that, say, we screw up the planet. Maybe octopuses will be the dominant life form and maybe they'll be nicer. Maybe right, they'll, and they'll be, be fine probably. Right, yeah. exactly. They just... Although we can probably mess up the oceans too, uh, so. But then they will adapt probably, and they'll just be muck monsters, Hopefully, you know, or they'll yeah. be plastic eating <laughs> potato giants or whatever they are, you know. Uh, yes, I hope so. I really do. I think so. I you think... know, I mean, if plastic eating potato monsters can learn from our mistakes and develop a more peaceful society, that'd be great. Yeah, eventually one of them will crawl <laughs> out of the muck and become a Coke brother, but I mean, that'll yeah, take a long true. time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they'd crawl into the muck and become a cocoa. There you go. <laughs> Boom, roasted. There you go. Boom, roasted. Posthumously roasted. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that was real good. So uh, I want to talk about, speaking of disgusting worms, <laughs> roasted. Wow. Um, <laughs> really, really raking Katie's the Katie's on fire. I'm on fire. Uh, so I want to talk about... Um, oh boy, here's a here's a Latin word that I'm going to try to pronounce and get it perfectly the first time. Gorgon or repens. Oh, you nailed it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Otherwise known as the proboscis worm. Why don't we go with that? Okay. Um, so the proboscis worm has a branching proboscis that looks like a lightning strike. Um, so when they're attacked, they actually turn their proboscis, which is this like it's an extrusion of their mouth that helps them hunt and eat. It's a popular item down there. <laughs> it's like it is. normal. It's so fetched down in if the ocean. If you don't have one of those, you're weird. Exactly. It's aversible, which just is a fancy way of saying it's like reversible. Like you can turn a glove inside out. Mm -hmm. So they can turn it inside out like a glove. Mm. And here's a fun uh, video of that happening. So you can see it uh, just spews... Oh that out. my god. It looks so, it looks like a lightning strike, right? Yeah, or else like uh Spider-Man out of his mouth. <laughs> you know, like a it's like a web. Exactly, yeah. It's like it, a goop web. It, it it yeah, exactly. It's a goop web. Uh and they do that when they're being attacked, uh, as a kind of like distraction technique. Uh sometimes they'll even completely toss it, like dump it out at their attacker. Uh, so they can escape, which is kind of weird because as far as we know, they can't grow them back. So it's really a last ditch oh, effort. No. Yeah. And then they can't eat. But hopefully they'll be able to reproduce between the time they uh, 
spit out their means of eating and so that's the that thing they spit out is their like digestive system or something it's their it's their proboscis which is like their basically like a tongue um, but, but they the, use it for for hunting, and they'll they'll spit it. They'll capture prey by like poking their proboscis out and like snatching it up and pulling it in. Oh, okay. So if they ditch that, then they no longer have so, the opportunity. So they barfed to eat. out their whole proboscis, exactly, because they freaked out. Exactly, they panicked. Uh huh. That would suck if like they it was like a surprise party for one of these guys, and they're like like surprise, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it, it just like spit out totally. his proboscis. And it's like Fred, it was just it's your birthday. It's like well, damn it. Now I'm going to starve to death. And what's the name of that animal? It's a proboscis worm or gorgon horror. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> that's, an, that's, um, I, I think it's interesting because, uh, so, so I guess like the predator would just be like, Quack. that thing. Like, that's <laughs> right. disgusting. I mean, you saw that video. If you saw that coming at you, what? Right. Would, but the thing that's right. trying to eat that thing is probably so fucked up right. looking that why would it be freaked out by some <laughs> goop? It'd be like, oh, just it's more all, goop. It's all goop. It's all relative though, right? Like if you have, if you're like one of those um, goblin sharks to you, someone with a big pointy nose and a big set of uh, jaws you can shoot out is attractive, but not like a goop monster. Right, right. So, you know, it, it's all, you know, beauty is relative. It's it's all in the eyes or the eye spots or proboscis of the beholder. Right. <laughs> One thing, I, the, just kind of a quick thing about uh, sand dollars, because that's a common uh, animal I think people are pretty used to. And, and we know we've beachcombed them, you pick them up, they're the the white, that little white disc that has that little floral yeah, pattern. Yeah, those on are it. dead ones, right? If exactly. They, yeah. yeah. So that's that's when they're dead. When they're alive, they're covered in like tiny thousands of tiny hair-like spines. They look fuzzy. They mm. look like they're covered in fluff. And these spines, they're they're a bunch of spines. They're little. They're also tiny tube feet called podia and cilia. So, <laughs> which is pretty silly. Get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and these can move around, and they actually allow the sand dollar to walk on like these these hundreds of little uh, tube feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also use these hairs to transfer sand into its mouth. So it's like a conveyor belt of thousands of these hairs, and they're all like pulling these oh, okay. grains of sand into its mouth and then they scrape the algae off and that's what they eat. Wow. That's really weird. What a weird thing. Like a conveyor belt, like a human or not a human, but like a uh, like a body that is a conveyor belt to 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 bring sand into your mouth so you can <laughs> so you can lick it off. Right. It'd be like as if you could put a sandwich on your hand and then just a bunch of tiny hairs like Drags the sandwich up into your mouth. Right. It sounds it, pretty good. Yeah. If 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 we fuck up the ocean enough, then someday they might they might pull the sand in their mouth and there's no <laughs> muck on it for them to lick. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah, it is all pretty interlinked. On the other hand, the more we screw up, it seems like we create a bloom, big blooms of algae. So maybe they'll be fine. Yeah, it's it's just everything else will be dead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then they'll get huge. Yep. With yep. all that algae, then they'll be like, monster sea yep. urchins and they'll, then they'll be like i've had enough of the ocean i'm coming on land I'm taking <laughs> it over they'll also eat little tiny pieces of metal because uh Ooh, ocean goats <laughs> because they're um they kind of lack even though they can like walk with all their little 
little hairs, they can't really, they're not great at locomotion. So they're kind of at the mercy of the currents. So, and they're relatively light. So then they would just get tossed around like a ocean Frisbee. Yeah. Uh, so by eating the metal, they actually can weigh themselves down so they can stick in the sand more uh, easily. Wow. <laughs> I didn't, how would, oh, that's so strange. And then they also, uh, in response to threats, baby sand dollars, which are called larvae, uh, will clone themselves, which both makes themselves smaller, so harder, di- more difficult targets, and increases their numbers. So it's a survival strategy. It's like if you were being attacked, you could just split yourself into two smaller guys. Insane. I mean, what a, what a place. <laughs> what a place this ocean it really it i feel like uh the little mermaid kind of was selling it short was bearing the lead with like the you know the song and dance number with all the animals and oh, lobsters yeah. and stuff it's like oh that's pretty neat but they don't show like an animal like getting split in half and forming two smaller animals no nope. which uh you that's know the worst thing about that movie exactly I mean, this is one of the coolest, it's one of the weirdest animals, I, I think, and it's um, called uh, planarian, which is a flatworm that's found all over the world uh, in saltwater and freshwater. There are even some terrestrial ones, so they're, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very simple. They're just basically, they look like little brown linguini, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have, they have eye spots, not really eye eyeballs because it's just like a cluster of uh, cells that can detect light and dark. So very simple. Their brain is a ganglion, which is just a cluster of nerve cells. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like mine. <laughs> just like your mother-in-law's uh, yeah, boom. Yeah, just like my mother-in-law's brain. <laughs> it's a ganglion. <laughs> ganglion head. And it also has just like a kind of very simple nerve cord um, no spine, no bones. Uh, they don't have lungs or a circulatory system. They just absorb oxygen through their body. Shoot. They have a pharynx, which is kind of like both a throat and a butthole at the mm. same time, um, and a gastrovascular cavity instead of a s- stomach. And so they, they're very simple. They use the, the eye spots to kind of vaguely see their environment. They eat through their quote-unquote mouth opening on of their pharynx on in the middle of them and then digest it through their just basically a hole in their body they sound very attractive (laughs) they pee through their skin that sounds nice yeah that's good um yeah they they poop through their pharynx but then they pee through their body so any liquid waste is excreted through their their skin well they're in the water so it doesn't matter yeah exactly i mean (laughs) who doesn't pee in the ocean yeah who doesn't pee in the pool? And you know there's some animal that down there is designed to drink whatever <laughs> pee of, of the, this it. animal. They're into it. Just designed specifically <laughs> to drink. What's the name of this animal? Planarian. Planarian pee. <laughs> Probably. Oh, a planarian just urinated through its skin. Ah, uh, yeah. Lunchtime. At least, I don't know if they drink it, but they're at least into it. You know? Yeah, they're yeah. freaky. Planarians are even more freaky. They can regrow their entire body from tiny, like if you cut it, you can it just regrows the whole body mm. so they can regrow their head eye spots pharynx and everything they need from sliced pieces so you can cut you can cut a planarian like a loaf of bread and each chunk is going to grow into a new planarian wow you can even you can bisect it you can cut it in any which way one like they've 
roughly like one 280th of the planarian can be cut and regrow. Wow. Uh, so tiny sections of it. Um, That's you can e- you can even like partially bisect it, so kind of like split it down the middle slightly, but like not all the way, so it it'll grow two heads on one organism. That that's uh that's nice. I mean, it's nice for them, for them. if they get cut. Yeah, yeah, they're like, who cares? Yeah, now exactly. I'm gonna have a friend. Yeah, yes, I'm queens. glad you cut me in half. Now <laughs> I have someone to hang out with. You get it. You slay yourselves, sea queens, and then grow anew. I wonder if they both have the same personality, both their segments after they grow. Good question. I mean, their personality has got to be very simple because their brains are so tiny. But yeah, you know, it it would suck, though, if like one of them was like super into other things than the other one. And it was like, you know, just like really different or politically very different. And they had to share a body. Yeah, Can you imagine? To, yep. They had to fight with themselves. Right. Thanksgiving would be so awkward. Even worse than humans. Exactly. They uh, can regrow because they use stem cells, which are the kinds of cells found in embryonic humans. Yeah. Unlike humans, we don't we don't re- have stem cells as adults uh, that are throughout the body that can just like regrow a finger. Although, you know, researchers are trying to use human stem cells to see if we can regrow body parts. So if you cut off a fingertip and then you treat it with stem cells, you can grow your fingertip back. Right. Um, unfortunately, we're kind of not at the stage where we can just rub planarians all over our body and regrow <laughs> a right. new body. But, uh, you know, maybe we can study them and figure out how they manage this. And then can it'd be really useful. Like during the French Revolution, you know, Robespierre, you cut off his head. It just grows a little tiny body out of it. Like, yeah. Like, I'm the new Robespierre. <laughs> right. Would have changed history. <laughs> it would have. Exactly. Planarian Robespierre. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking about Robespierre. <laughs> because he's a famous he's a famous planarian. He got he got his he got his head cut off, right? He's the most yes, he or did. did he I cut think off, he did. Well, I, he cut well, off a bunch of people's heads, right? I, don't know. I wouldn't then, have gone on a French Revolution podcast. Yeah, so yeah well, this isn't that. <laughs> I'd love to see French people try to cut off planarian's head and just get really frustrated, like some kind of bourgeoisie planarian keeps getting its head cut off it's like man we just keep making new ones that's why they don't have capital punishment under c that's true that actually i think that is correct that's right because you, you just can't do it nope you can't you just make more more of them it'll make a mess you got a courtroom <laughs> will turn into who knows everybody will start squirting stuff and growing stuff and shooting out there oh, hell their bro- yeah barfing out their proboscis and someone else eats their proboscis or as and- i like to call it a nice time Why are we so fascinated with intelligent aliens? One theory is that as science advances, we are seeking a replacement to religion. Instead of a god, we want to believe in the existence of intelligent life beyond our pale blue dot. A psychology study by North Dakota State University found that religiousness and belief in aliens were inversely related. Those who were non-religious but still expressed a desire for meaning were more likely to believe in extraterrestrial intelligence. But is this belief in aliens just a replacement for religion, or is the instinct that there may be more intelligent life beyond our world rational? Personally, I think that if there's a planet out there with conditions suitable for life, there's a non-zero chance that intelligent life may form. In fact, as we'll soon discuss, we have evidence that intelligent life can evolve separately from humans. When we return, I'll be joined by one such human who formed an emotional bond with one such of these homegrown intelligent alien life forms.
Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Octopuses, they're one of my favorite aquatic animals, and I'm hoping once you've listened to this interview, they'll become yours as well. Octopuses are beautiful, strange, and intelligent creatures. Their skin can change color at the blink of an eye due to color-changing cells called chromatophores. They have no bones and can squeeze through tiny holes that are a fraction of their normal body size. The largest octopus, the giant Pacific octopus, weighs in at about 150 pounds, whereas the star-sucker pygmy octopus weighs in at less than a gram. Octopuses evolved somewhat independently from humans. Our last common ancestor was probably something like the planarian, a worm-like creature with simple eye spots around 750 million years ago. That means their complex, incredible brains evolved on a completely separate limb of the evolutionary tree. So if you're wondering what alien intelligence looks like, who's got eight limbs and no thumbs? These guys. Joining me today is Professor of Marine Biology at the Alaska Pacific University in Anchorage, David Scheel. In Octopus Making Contact, the season premiere of PBS's Nature, Professor Scheel invites an octopus named Heidi into his living room and sees what kind of relationship can be formed with an octopus. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Scheel. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So when you first decided to welcome an octopus into your home, what were you hoping to find out? Well, um... 
I think I say this in the film, but it, it's really just a way to spend more time playing with an octopus without the limitations of being underwater myself. You know, so scuba diving can be fairly limited. And so this was a way to expand on that. What new things did you pick up on by having the H Heidi, the octopus in your living room? Um, I don't know so much if it was about learning something new as just kind of being present with the animal for a longer period of time um, and kind of having that continual input to mull things over and think about things. I guess I got a little more interested in understanding octopus cognition and the way they encounter their world uh, than I had been prior to the project. Yeah, that makes sense to me because so I, I never had a dog growing up. And when I got a dog, I was so fascinated with the way that I saw her mind working. Uh, and I, in a way, I didn't really expect like I would see her looking for things and just be so, so interested in how she would get up on her hind legs to kind of look around her environment. It's like, huh, it's so, so weird living with an animal that is showing signs of these, this human level cognition. And I imagine that's even weirder with an octopus, which is not a mammal evolved completely separately from us. So it's it's such an alien looking creature. Yeah, and I think I think in in today's world we don't often spend a lot of time with uh, animals, and particularly not with a bunch of different kinds of animals. You know, people spend time with dogs and cats, and and maybe to some extent birds. Um, and so it's kind of fascinating to spend time with an animal that's. Um, much more distantly related to us. Uh, and so that was, I, I find that interesting as well. And that was what made this project kind of fun. What started your fascination with octopuses? Because I think you mentioned in the documentary that you've been studying them for around 20 years, over 20 years? Yeah, about, um, let's see, I started in 1995. So yeah, almost 25 years now. The, the, I, I mean, I've always been fascinated with octopuses. Who wouldn't be, right? Um, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, when I was uh, about 12 years old, I received a copy of Jacques Cousteau's book, Soft Intelligence, as a gift. Um, but I think I was fascinated by ocean life even before then. Uh, at the time, I read a lot of science fiction. And I suppose as a 12-year-old, I thought um, being a marine biologist might be as close as I could ever get to studying life from another planet. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned in the documentary how octopuses are about as alien as you can get in terms of intelligent animals because of how far back they are separated from us on the evolutionary tree. Can you talk a little bit about how they really evolved all these structures completely independently of humans, like their eyes and their heart and their brains? You know, it's it's probably a stretch to say completely independently, but I think it's true that um, evolutionary science has been surprised several times over the last 25 or 30 years in understanding how deep the roots of evolutionary traits go. I mean, I remember when the Hox genes, for example, were first discovered, people were talking about the fact that it seemed like limbs and much of the regulatory structure of animals was the same whether you were talking about a, a marine polychaete worm or a mammal. And that was really surprising to evolutionary biologists at the time, or at least to some of them. Um, and so I think the the roots, what, what this really shows is not so much that, that the evolution of octopuses and humans has been completely independent, but that the roots of um, what we think about as fairly advanced traits might in fact be extremely deep. 
uh, octopuses have in common with humans probably some aspects of the visual system, some aspects of sensory ecology, some aspects of nervous evolution that are common to all animals and were present uh, very uh, early on in the animal stem. Uh, on the other hand, the general organization of their nervous system, the way it's laid out in the body, the way the brain grows, the way um, uh, nerves are distributed in the brain versus the body, these things seem to be really different between octopuses and, um, for example, mammals. And so it's, it is really fascinating to look at the ways that the octopus functions is sometimes considered an honorary vertebrate. You know, it functions in many ways that are very similar to the ways a dog or a cat would function, uh, and yet its organization at the at the at the gross anatomy level is very different. And so, it's it's a lot of it's very intriguing to compare and and think about why that those big differences in anatomy. Um, nevertheless seem very approachable to us. We feel like we have a connection with this animal that um, looks back at us with these uh, very different eyes, but very recognizable eyes. Yeah, that's so interesting to me. And one, one of the things that I find interesting and sad is the short lifespan of the octopus because it's so intelligent you know, already I feel sad about like dogs having a shorter lifespan than humans, but some of these octopuses have such short fleeting lifespans, but they're also so intelligent. It seems kind of cruel of nature to do this. <laughs> um, and what do you think it's like from the perspective of the octopus, what do you think it's like to have that intelligence, but also have such a short lifespan that almost it seems to end as soon as the new generation of octopuses come into play? Yeah, I, I don't have the sense that they worry too much about how, how much time is left. You know, at the end, uh, male pretty busy looking for mating opportunities. Females are pretty busy tending their eggs. So they kind of have a lot going on. And I, I don't imagine they dwell much on the inevitable. Yeah, that, maybe that's a blessing in a way. They just live in the moment. We should all be so lucky, right? Exactly. You mentioned in the documentary uh, that your observations of Heidi aren't exactly scientific, but did you find that it helped influence your research and your understanding of octopuses, or did it just give you sort of a new dimension to the meaning of your research? It's probably too soon to tell. Um, I'm thinking now more about octopus cognition and how they encounter and perceive their world, and so uh, that might influence future research directions. But, you know, research is this, uh, this intriguing mixture of directions and questions that interest the researcher and opportunities that exist. And so you have to get them somehow to line up before you've got a new direction. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a much slower process than maybe building the emotional connection with the octopus. Which, because uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it seemed maybe there was like a little bit of a, a moment of acclimation, but the, both you guys, you and your daughter and the octopus seemed to become pretty fast friends pretty quickly. It was, I thought it was really cute when your daughter would come home and the octopus would rush over to the other side of the tank to greet her, just like a, a dog or a cat would. Why do you think Heidi was so excited to see you guys and, and what does affection mean for an octopus? Well, that's, that's a good question. I mean, Heidi liked attention. 
um, and, you know, stimulus during play. She liked having things going on. Plus, probably our hands tasted a little bit like the anticipation of a meal, mm. uh, you know, because we handle the shrimp or whatever. And so whatever chemical signals or, or scents we have um, that she can detect, that's got to become, over time, become associated with, with food and reward. And, you know, it's, Pavlov's octopus. <laughs> yeah, Pavlov's <laughs> octopus. Exactly. Why and so like the I thought it was interesting. It she seemed to really like to hold hands, and that kind of explains why that she associates hands with food. Uh, she would also squirt water at you guys. Do you think she was being mischievous, or is that a an octopus's way of exploring their world? Yeah, the the squirting is it's used in the wild as a way to deter. Nuisances. So, if a fish, a little little fish, even doesn't have to be a threatening fish, but even a little fish, gets interested in an octopus, then the, the octopus will squirt water at it, a jet of water at it, to try and drive it away, or um, uh, kind of reach out with one arm and try and bat it out of the way. Um, I think there's a moment of that in the film too. But you know, in terms of squirting us, I think maybe it starts out that way of like just seeing what happens, but then. You know, once you've taken a bucket of octopus water in the face, um, <laughs> I think the octopus learns that she can get a reaction out of you. That way. <laughs> and so that, that might be part of it, too. And can she, do you think she can kind of read your body language and your expression? I know in the documentary you mentioned she can recognize human faces, and you would wear a mask when you had to weigh her so she wouldn't associate you with an unpleasant activity. Uh, do you think she can read expressions or or body language? Yeah, I'm not sure. That's a that's a good question. Um, you know, I once uh, kept an octopus in um, my facility at the university that uh, got to be fairly famous for uh, aiming for people's faces with the, <laughs> the squirt of water. And and in in the at the university the. Uh, um, the water's Alaskan water, so it's quite cold. Right. You take a, a squirt in the face. And so one day I was given a tour in the lab, and uh, I decided I, I didn't want to take a squirt of water in the face. <laughs> and so I there was this vertical sort of panel that uh, when you open the tank that's clear. And so I sort of stood behind that where the octopus could could see me, and I could see the octopus, and, and I could talk to the visitors, but I, I, you know, I was protected from that squirt of water. And, and the octopus managed to shoot directly up over that barrier and hit me in the top of the head anyway. <laughs> wow, that's a clever girl. So I don't know if that's reading facial expressions, but she certainly was tracking where I was. Yeah, so that's an interesting understanding of physics. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fascinating. I, I kind of felt like I was safe, but it turned out not to be the case. Speaking of their sense of physics, one of the methods of play that octopuses engage in is they take that empty pill bottle that's buoyant and they push it into, inside the tank, they have that jet of water circulating through the tank and they kind of put it, push it into that jet of water and watch it spin around the tank and come back to them, kind of like they're playing fetch with themselves. Do you think that's what it is or, or what do you think is the purpose of that form of play? Yeah, that was actually a recreation of an experiment that was done in the Seattle Aquarium. So yeah, the, the, the water is circulating in kind of a, um, you know, a big uh, gyre around the tank, and, and that's because there's a jet near the surface that's blowing water out, and then given the sort of confines of the tank, that creates a, a cycle in the tank where the water comes back to its starting point. 
And um, in the Seattle experiment, the octopus was, you know, they did it with several octopuses and not all of them did it. But the ones who did would use their own uh, jet to blow this uh, neutrally buoyant pill bottle out into the, into the current, have it circle around, and then they'd grab it when it comes the other way and comes back to them and then push it back out. And the experimenters liken that to, to bouncing a ball, um, which is a form of play, uh, just sort of engaging in repetitive motion. You know, in some ways, it's a little reminiscent of there was a paper not too many years ago, five or ten years ago maybe, that documented that, that birds, parrots specifically, not songbirds, but parrots, had a rhythmic sense and could dance to human music. So this, you know, this sense of rhythm may be one of these very deep evolutionary things um, that many animals possess. Yeah, that's so that's so interesting because I know we've talked on the show before about parrots who will actually use sticks or other things in their environment to kind of drum. So it, it's this weird uh, bird form of making music themselves and, and right. kind of dancing to the beat of it. And I think. This idea that, and birds are quite alien to us as well. I mean, we're we're a little more related to birds than we are to octopuses, right? But, um, but still, like they they diverged quite a while ago. But it's it, it is really interesting to see these kind of parallels of play and an understanding of repetitive motion or maybe rhythm. Do you think so? So. You mentioned that our last common ancestor with an octopus was probably a flatworm-like animal, and they evolved intelligence, like you said, maybe not completely independently, because obviously we shared a common ancestor, but uh, they, they, in a parallel way, they developed this intelligence. Do you think that given the right conditions, like a, a planet that supports life, that intelligent life is very likely, like sort of inevitable, or do you think that we're just extremely lucky to have this happen? Well, you know, it's a big universe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, you know, astronomers are discovering exoplanets uh, with some regularity, it seems like. And so I suspect Earth is not particularly unique across the scale of the, of the universe. Um, and so, yeah, if you have a planet that supports life, once the life becomes active, that is, once uh, an organism has to control its own body parts in relation to information that comes in from a complex environment and has to move through that environment, like animals do in this planet, then I don't think it's, it's that unexpected to find different degrees of intelligence and problem solving. Yeah. Do you think if mammals and humans never really rose to prominence that some kind of intelligent sea life, maybe like the octopus, could have formed primate-like or human-like intelligence or, or some kind of society? Or do you think that the environment of the ocean would be somewhat prohibitive towards that kind of evolutionary path well that depends what you mean by sort of a you know human-like or primate-like intelligence i mean we consider elephants to be pretty smart and an yeah. elephant trunk works on a similar biomechanical principle to octopus arms you know they have that same kind of dexterity um and so you know that's a a level to which 
um, you know, octopuses might might be similar. At the same time, if you are looking at sort of human levels of technology, then you know the biggest obstacle to to that is really probably water. Right. Um, any sort of manufacturing process based on combustion doesn't work so well underwater, and octopus biology is pretty intimately tied up with seawater, so they're not they're not well poised right now evolutionarily to d- just come walking out onto dry land. So maybe no cars made out of seaweed and. Uh. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's a little difficult to imagine a completely underwater combustion-based technology getting started. I mean, you know, if you think about early technologies for humans, fire was probably pretty important in going from um, a very simple tool-making society to uh, a more technological society. And so that that seems like that's easier on land than it is underwater. They do use sort of these simple tools to some extent, like the octopuses that will hide in coconuts. Do you think, does that count as tool use? Do you think they learn this behavior? Or is it an instinctive behavior to, to use these coconuts as uh, camouflage? Well, the, yeah, that example of the coconuts has been considered a very minimal type of tool use. Tool use is usually thought about modifying an object to um, suit a, a, a purpose for the user. But the modification in this case is pretty simple, just assembling two halves, like picking up two sides of a clamshell. So it it probably counts as tool use, um, but it's a pretty minimal kind. And the the importance of tool use in sort of, you know, there's there's this history in talking about human intelligence of trying to claim a unique spot in the world for humans as rational agents. And tools were one way to sort of draw the line, right? Right between us and the rest of the world. It's probably misguided to try and draw a line, and so any way that you would attempt to demarcate that line is probably also misguided. And so, you know, um, there they are. They they have the kinds of intelligence they do. They're kind of amazing at it. They can open a clam better than I can for sure. <laughs> Um, but if you want to have a, a conversation with, with words, then you probably want to look for a person, not an octopus. Do you think uh, w- one of the more shocking things that I saw in the documentary was this video of Heidi possibly dreaming? Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I, it didn't even occur to me that maybe octopuses could dream, especially in the way that Heidi does. Um, well, you know, octopuses sleep. So this is, turns out to very likely be one of those extremely deep uh, connections amongst all animals in the sense that in any animal phyla where people have looked carefully, there seems to be evidence that the animals need to sleep. And in the case of uh, mollusks, octopuses, they also seem to have something similar to um, what we call rapid eye movement in sleep, which is one of two types of sleep that that humans have. And so uh, there they are, engaged in sleep and engaged in rapid eye movement sleep. But we don't really fully understand what sleep does for humans, let alone for other animals. And do we really know what dreaming is either? I'm not sure. And so if we can't even answer those questions for people, it's, it's that much harder 
to answer them for for octopuses. Um, but we do use we do use our behavior uh, even amongst people as an indication of our internal state. Like what's going on with me? Well, people look at me whether I'm pacing, whether I'm nervous, whether I'm uh, yelling, you know. And they use my behavior to get a sense and read my mental state, and and we accept that. We consider that to be fine. And sometimes we extend it to our dogs. You know, we say, "Oh, look, his legs are running. You know, and he's twitching, and he's probably dreaming of chasing a rabbit." So if we do that same sort of thing for the octopus, they have these amazing abilities to change the color and texture of their skin. And this is a behavior that we can see, and they do it when they're asleep sometimes. And so there's this bit in the film where you can see this octopus going through a sequence of, 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 of um, color changes and texture changes. And so in the film, I, I sort of narrate that. Uh, is that typical of a behavior that the octopus might, might exhibit? And it, it seems to vaguely match up with what you would expect to see if the octopus were pouncing on a crab. But in this case, the octopus is clearly asleep. So maybe she's dreaming. That comparison to watching your dog kind of twitching in their sleep and the little legs kind of moving a little bit in their mouth, yeah. twitching, I think is very apt because obviously we don't, we can't be inside the heads of other animals. We can't even, like you said, dreaming is pretty mysterious even for humans. We, we don't actually know exactly how and why dreams happen. Uh, and so we can just kind of guess that maybe since animals have the, the, this basic similarity, this basic parallel to our brains and they also sleep and they seem to exhibit little motor functions that, that are suppressed because of the way sleep functions, but it, it does seem to mirror some of their awake behavior. I think to me, it, it's a pretty strong indicator that they're at least kind of going through the motions maybe of their day, maybe rethinking about what happened that day or, or generalizing and thinking about these behaviors in general. And then it shows up on their body when we're in sleep and the brain stops signals to the rest of, to our spinal cord, in which case the octopus doesn't have a spinal cord. So I'm supposing it stops signals to the, the nerve structure. Somehow it must. Yeah. Right. I, I'm not a sleep biologist, but you know, one of the things that's interesting about this is if, if sleep is evolutionarily very deep, and it has a function that pretty much all animals with nervous systems need, and, and if dreaming is important, you know, then that raises the question not just about humans and dogs and octopuses, but like, do jellyfish dream? Yeah. Right? Um, so, you know, I, th I think this is just, it's one area where we don't necessarily have a complete story yet about what the biological functions of these things are or whether they're just phenomenon that occur in systems that, you know, nervous systems that have these properties and need to sleep. Dreaming might simply occur as a byproduct of things that are important. It might not be an important product itself. I don't, I don't really know. I don't know that anyone really knows. Yeah, like kind of a, a spandrel of just having a brain and thinking and then also having to sleep. Yeah, yeah. One other thing I was kind of interested in is the extent to which octopuses will socialize with each other. They seem rather solitary, but I know that they do occasionally bump bump tentacles with each other, and they're not necessarily unfriendly. But can you talk a little bit about what the social life of an octopus is like in the wild? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, as a general rule, the characterization of 
of octopuses is is as solitary seems to bear up reasonably well. They, you know, for many octopuses, when you find them, they're alone. On the other hand, we're still sorting out what the exceptions are to that and when they occur and how commonly. And the more we, the more we look, the more exceptions we find. And so that that seems to be fairly interesting. Octopuses do appear to interact with one another more than had previously been noticed. I work also sometimes at that site that uh, is visited towards the very end of the film in Australia. And at those sites, uh, you might have 16 or 17 octopuses in a relatively small area. And they do seem to interact with one another routinely throughout the day. Um, But we still haven't sorted out what those interactions are about or uh, how typical they are or how important they are to the animal's life. They may occur simply because it's a dangerous world out there and this relatively small patch of habitat has a lot of good shelter. And so it forces the animals uh, into contact with one another. But at the same time, when they're in contact with one another, they are using um, signaling, we think, and a fairly complex set of behaviors and interactions. And so they seem to have access to ways to moderate the need to interact with one another. And they have tools to do that. Uh, I don't mean manufactured tools. I mean behavioral patterns to do that. And so that suggests that even even if interacting with other octopuses doesn't happen daily in the life of most octopuses when it does happen they 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 know how to deal with it so they're they're introverts but they they know how to function socially (laughs) something like that yeah yeah Yeah, i i may or may not know people like that (laughs) (laughs) i may or may not be a person (laughs) so are there any other octopus facts that you think people should know you know, I tell my students there's an octopus in every lesson. And what I mean by that is, you know, when I'm teaching uh, ethics or philosophy or aquarium biology, I kind of mean it's easy to talk about how we should treat other humans or, or uh, what does a fish need to survive in an aquarium because those are very familiar cases that we, we talk about all the time. And what makes this octopus film interesting and what makes octopuses interesting is they're a very different other case. They are what's been called a, a distant and challenging case. And because of that, they make the questions much clearer. You know, if we want to ask how does, what, what do humans owe in ethical treatment of, of animals, right? If we ask that question about a chimpanzee, it seems pretty straightforward. If we ask that question about a dog, it seems pretty straightforward. But by the time we get to an octopus, it's a much harder question, and we have to think about it a lot more clearly. And so that's why I think it's important to have a film about octopuses and why I think we, if we're going to talk about octopuses, we should do it in a way that um, is respectful of what they might offer us, including in the headlines. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's hard for people to put themselves in the shoes of like an animal that literally can't wear shoes. It's just so, <laughs> so alien to us. But I, I think they, that they just need four pairs at a time. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. Pull a squidward there. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, th I think if we can learn to empathize with an octopus, maybe that would be good for our society as a whole. Like, if you can empathize with an octopus, you can empathize with other people and maybe be a better people. You know, more empathy can't hurt, right? Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And again, you guys can check out the documentary. It's called Octopus Making Contact. You can catch that tonight on PBS. Uh, it's October 2nd and it's airing today. It's the season premiere of Nature. It's an excellent documentary, so check that out. Thank you for speaking with me. So I'm back with Chris Crofton. Uh, so we just finished talking about keeping an octopus as like a family member in yeah. your home. I, I don't know. I, I, I always knew octopuses were intelligent, but the idea of them dreaming and playing, basically playing like ball with themselves, like tossing a little buoyant ball around. and I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah. I had no idea that an octopus was intelligent. Uh, I'm I'm still not sure that uh, they are. I think maybe this this biologist guy might be <laughs> insane. Uh, I I've got to take his side. I think that there's a lot of evidence of how intelligent they are, especially because they can basically escape any any tank that they're in because they're so squishy. They can slip out of little holes and well, then go and grab food. Here's my question: Where are they going? They're, to go steal, they'll steal people's goldfish. So like if you. Uh, have like an aquarium that has an octopus in it. They've been known to escape out of the aquarium, go over to the the bowl of goldfish, and eat the goldfish. Okay, well that 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 okay that explains I guess if there's a goldfish nearby. But what else? They, if they get out of it out of a out of their tank, where are they going to go? They, they, don't they need to be wet? They do. They I think even though they're intelligent, they they that doesn't necessarily mean that they have um, street smarts. So like <laughs> they get out of their tank, they get the they get their illicit goods. Octopuses um, do not have street smarts. <laughs> there is one story of an octopus that like escaped from. Uh, its container and it was like on a ship uh, it either escaped from a net or a container and then it like crawled along the ship and it can survive surprisingly long time and then it went into like a teapot full of water oh i saw a video of a something an octopus doing something interesting but i can't remember oh what yeah it was. yeah there's a viral video of an octopus who's on the deck of a fishing boat and then it squeezes through a tiny hole in the ship oh, and that's then what slips out into yeah, the water yeah, that's yeah. What it is. yeah so they're pretty weirdly capable on land obviously they won't survive too long on land but they can move pretty good it is kind of i guess yeah I'm, all right i guess this is the thing i have a, a question about katie and that is why now, if you're an intelligent octopus, I mean, this is so interesting because you're applying, like, I'm applying human sort of emotions to intelligence, which doesn't necessarily, the two don't necessarily go together. So it's different. It's probably a different kind of intelligence. But I'm imagining that if you are super intelligent and you're an octopus, you're probably a reincarnated human being punished <laughs> because who the hell wants to be an octopus? I mean, I don't know. In a way, it might be kind of fun. They can, like... They can taste with their arms. But I'm thinking, this is the way I think, though. I'm like, I'm thinking an octopus is thinking to itself, who the hell wants to be an octopus? <laughs> Which is obviously not a, a thought that that would have. I don't know. I mean, I, we, I, I did talk about earlier how I think it's kind of cruel that octopuses are fairly intelligent, but they have such short lifespans. But maybe that just makes them live in the moment more. It's like dolphins being super intelligent. Like, I'm like... I always think of it in terms of human intelligence. So I'm like, I bet dolphins are pretty mad they can't go to a concert. 
Well, there's this famous Douglas Adams quote that uh, I really love, which is like humans always think, and I'm just paraphrasing here, but it's like humans always think that we're the most intelligent ones because we've built societies and roads and cars and bureaucracy uh, while dolphins are just mucking around playing in the water. And dolphins think they're the most intelligent for the exact same reason. Right, right, right. <laughs> so that's interesting. So I imagine, yeah, an octopus as being some miserable uh, Einstein, you know, like, oh, yeah. intelligent. That means Einstein. <laughs> so it's like Einstein, except it's like he, he, he has to be in a tank. I don't know, but well, <laughs> not always. That's like Einstein in a tank. But like if an octopus, so like if you could like shift your body into every shape and squeeze through holes and like you can taste with your tentacles right. and um, change, change color and texture and yeah. just kind of, I don't know, it'd be kind of cool. But you like but then to like somebody, like the octopus is excited when the guy's daughter mm-hmm. comes home. That's 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 weird to me. I mean, I don't it know. Is, it is weird because it really kind of puts our own minds in perspective where we kind of feel like humans were, were special. At least mammals are special, right? Like humans and primates. And because like you can you look at a dog and you can look into a dog's eyes and you're like, OK, so the dog likes to have its belly rubbed. And, and that kind of makes sense because they're they're mammals, too. They they have expressions that we can read. Um, we've we've actually co-evolved with dogs so we can both kind of read each other's mm-hmm. body language fairly well. But with an octopus, they're so they've evolved in such a different environment that connection of like I can read their body language they can read my body language is very is much more difficult so imagining them their emotional state is so much harder where it's like okay are they happy are they excited and what does that mean it it, I mean obviously there's no definitive answers because we can't be inside an octopus brain unless Elon Musk gets on that I don't know right but uh you know it's I think personally I think it that they are conscious and they're cognizant but they probably just have a very different experience of the world that's basically impossible to put into words because an octopus doesn't have words. They probably think in weird pictures and like, uh, you know, they, they express themselves through their skin can change color and texture. So when they're like we talked about in the interview, like when they're dreaming, their skin sort of fluctuates in color and texture as they're thinking about hunting or playing or whatever they're doing. And it's just it's such a different it's like I mean, it's essentially like aliens. Like when we try to think about what alien life would be like. This is yeah. to me what it would be like. Have you seen? Did you see that movie about those huge balloons that hung in the sky and uh, it's, uh what's his name? Arrival. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was that was uh whoever that guy is Jeremy Renner and yeah. uh, and uh a- a- I think Amy um Amy Adams Amy Adams so they yeah. like stare at octopuses for the yeah. whole movie yeah they, someone someone was like we, if we make yeah so I, that's just I just thought of that yeah and I, no exactly no exactly <laughs> made exactly me think of those octopus no, aliens and, no no it does because I think that and like I think in the movie they were sort of trying to figure out how to communicate with them and their method of language was so different from ours it was hard to recognize. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's to me like, I mean, obviously an alien might not look like an octopus, but the idea that, you know, maybe because octopuses were so were so far back in terms of when we were related to them, like 750 million years ago and very simple, like worm like creature was our common ancestor that. You know, I, I imagine like maybe if there's a planet that can support life and can create at least a worm-like creature, maybe intelligent life 
is bound to develop given enough time, given the uh, proper circumstances, the uh, uh, environment that's friendly towards evolving life. And, and then that way, like maybe this kind of Star Trek world where you have these different races that develop and, but they all kind of all think and dream and, and can communicate. Well, like, maybe it'll all start in this uh, marine biologist's apartment. <laughs> maybe that's what he's doing. Well, maybe Heidi's learning more from us than we're learning from her. And she's, She's learning how to take over the world. Yeah. Uh, he's going to, yeah, he might be in big trouble. Well, it's like that movie, Planet of the Apes. Maybe it's, a, what, what was that ape's name? The the uh, chimpanzee that like went insane. and Cornelius? It's not, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> I, I know that's think... one of them. I don't know right. which one is the one. Right. That went, oh, went... oh, Caesar, I think, is, oh, the, okay. is the main one. And it's like, you know, maybe these octopuses will... Unfortunately, they only live about a year long. So, oh, is that it? <laughs> yeah. Well, some of them, the giant Pacific even octopus, the apartment ones. Yeah, it can only live about a year, and then the giant Pacific octopus lives up to five years. So it's it's really sad because like I would love uh, to be friends with an octopus, but that would be so bittersweet. It would be super boring too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If have you ever held hands with an octopus? Uh, yes. Seems like fun. Really? No. I, no, you're lying. No, I think it would be fun. And then they squirt at you with water. It's a good time. I guess so. <laughs> Until you come home and they got eight of your beers in their hands. And then you're like, where's my... Oh, I'm sorry. They can open jars, so that's not too much of a stretch. Yeah. I mean, I, all right. I want I want to hang out with an octopus. Good. We've converted you. Yeah. Just all part of our plan. I mean, their plan. I mean, nobody's plan. Oh. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you got you. anything to plug? Any where people can find you well, on Twitter? I, I yeah, you can you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my uh, my handle is at the Crofton Show, and I write poems on there just for fun, like pretty much really dumb poems about animals. And I actually wrote oh. one, I wrote one about an octopus. <gasps> really? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it was. Uh, Octopus is the name of the poem, and mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, you've got eight arms and ink. Write a book. <laughs> I think that was what the poem, poem nice. was. So it's you can like follow haiku, me. Yeah. yeah, you can follow me on at the Crofton Show, and 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 uh, you can hear about all my stuff. And then also Instagram, uh, Chris underscore Crofton, and um, uh, I talk endlessly about cold brew on there because. Oh, whatever. I used to be an alcoholic, and now I'm a, now I'm a, now I'm a coffee-aholic. So, um, and I have a record, a music record, that uh, you can listen to on uh, Spotify or anything. Title, I don't know, however you listen to music. Uh, it's called Hello, It's Me, and it's a dead serious record that got reviewed by NPR and Pitchfork, and uh, and it's uh, it's like soft rock. That's it's awesome. All about, uh, it's all about... Um, for the purposes of this podcast, it's all about octopuses. Yes, please, please make an album it's about octopuses. It's soft rock about octopuses. <laughs> well, and they are soft-bodied animals, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's technically about my ex-girlfriend, but you could. Was your ex-girlfriend an octopus? For the yes. <laughs> all right, and you can find us on the internet, uh, creaturefeaturepod.com on Instagram at creaturefeaturepod on Twitter at creaturefeatpod f e a t not f e e t. It's a very different. Twitter account. Um, you can find me at Katie Golden and of course at Pro Bird Rights, where I advance the rights of birds. 
Thanks so much for listening. You can join us next Wednesday and keep sending in those Chevrotain pictures. Would you like some Chevrotain pictures, Chris? Uh, I don't know what they are, deer. but yes, I would. Send Chris some Dick Dick pic pics. Don't worry, those are also tiny deer called Dick Dicks. Oh. Uh, and some uh, Chevrotain. Get them on the Chevrotain trains. You'll find out what we mean. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for having me on the show. It's been super fun. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their excellent song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives with 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional. You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.